This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, we have Bonnie on from Women Execs on Boards, and we're going to be talking about the real-life resilience from the world's most successful women in business. Wonderful topic. Can't wait to get into it. Bonnie, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself and Women Execs on Boards? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm excited to be here. Um, I am the um, Bonnie Hageman, the CEO of EDA Inc., which is a actually a 38-year-old company that in the human capital space that we are transforming into a tech company. So as I mentioned before the call, before the podcast, you know, uh, you have some expertise in that. I'm going to have to talk to you about it. But that's one part of my life. And another part is this Women Execs on Boards, where I am co-founder of a network of over 195 members from 23 countries who, of women who attended the board governance programs at Harvard Business School. And so that is what it's all about. And that's what the book's about. Oh, I love it. So let's, let's go into the, the real, the resilience, the, the relationship between resilience and successful women in business. So what have you seen so far? And, uh, and again, kind of, let's just kind of give a primer to the audience around how these things are uh, linked or associated with one another. Absolutely. Well, we, so the book, you know, just to back up a little bit. So we, this network, um, I, this is my third book. So my publisher, I, I wanted to talk to them about, you know, a couple of ideas I had for the next book. This was all just before COVID happened. And then, um, so I thought, you know, they weren't interested. And then they came back and said, Oh, nope, sorry. We were just furloughed. We're interested. So, <laughs> So anyway, we come back, we do the book and, but they wanted to, do, they wanted to hear more about the stories of these women that, which was one of the ideas that I shared, which was uh, these, these women, you know, a lot of people, they see someone who's been through programs at Harvard and they immediately assume that you're talking about a bunch of elitists. And that's not the case at all. In fact, most of the women in this network um, really just worked very, very hard to get there. And as they were going through their careers, which are very impressive careers, um, one of the things that is extremely strong, that one of the patterns that we pull through is this idea of resiliency. And that's just that bounce back ability is, you know, we are all going to get knocked down. And the more we understand about uh, bouncing back, And not only just for ourselves, but leading other people through it, the better off we'll be, the better our organizations will be. And, you know, you give your whole team a real sense of comfort when you know how to do that. And so it's a huge theme. And and I think you'll see it all through the book and the stories and really all through any successful person's life. They're going to have this resiliency. It's interesting the way that you you framed up resilience is like you you resilient yourself. But the, as you help people, you also kind of learn it at a different level. You, when you teach resilience or when you facilitate or help somebody through something, you also 
you've also helped yourself. Yes. You know, like in, in companies, it's all, you know, the, everyone's looking at these people in leadership positions. And if something goes really wrong and things go really wrong all the time, then we are looking at our leaders to see what are they going to do? You know, and what they do does really impact what everyone else does, whether they step in the leadership gap, whether they stay calm, whether they look at it from a holistic standpoint, not just, you know, oh, my here. And really, if you think about it as parents, you know, a lot of us are parents and, and we it's sort of the same thing. You know, when something goes really wrong, our kids are looking at us. And they're trying to figure out, you know, do you know where you're going and should, you know, are we okay? And so I think that natural instinct sticks with us. A hundred percent. I can, I can tell you from just, I have two boys and uh, they're always constantly looking at my wife and I, when we have not difficult conversations, just conversations that adults have, mm-hmm. there's all their, their ears right. are parked up. They might not say anything, but their ears are parked up, which I find yes. fascinating. <laughs> of um, course. Cause that's, I mean, that's how I was. So I, I get it. Um, right. as it, as it, as it relates to resilience, um, I'm going to ask the employee's responsibility or, or, you know, the company's responsibility as opposed to the individual's responsibility as resilience in a second. But what, what do you, in all of your research and just all of your kind of, as you study this, how do, is it just something we're born with? Is it something that, you know, I'm asking a nurture versus nature question, of course, but mm-hmm. it's like, how do you get to a point? where you you identify whether or not you have gaps in resilience and what can you do to fix those gaps? Well, it's a great question, really, because, you know, my my immediate thought is it's not it's not innate in any way. It is a learned skill and any one of us can choose to be resilient. We can say, you know, no, I'm going to be that person who does bounce back, who does look at it from a broader perspective. And I choose, I choose to be that way. And at the same time, there are people who are more naturally inclined. And what I mean by that is some people just have an optimistic attitude naturally and others don't, you know, two people can look at the same thing. And one person sort of looks at it from the negative lens and the other one, you know, glass half full versus glass half empty. And so I think a lot of that has to do with how we were raised, but there are some just inborn traits, you know, that has some people sort of go down the negative bent first. So I I do think there's some natural inclination, but don't worry. Even if you don't have it, you can, you can build it. You can choose. I love that. So um, the leaders, I've asked the same question of people that are leadership coaches and leadership development experts, and they've said kind of a very similar thing. It's like, okay, a lot of this stuff can be taught, checked, mm-hmm. covered, as, and, but some of it is just some people are naturally born or gifted or just kind of get there faster. Um, yes. So now let's deal with kind of the organization and the companies that we all love What's the responsibility for the company to help people to become let's on the, on the, on the learned side and training side, training and development side. Um, What's the responsibility for the company and what do you think the responsibility for the individual is? Well, for the company, you know, first and foremost is probably just to have the right culture Mm -hmm. because culture matters so much. You know, if you, if I have a culture that, 
every time somebody makes a mistake, they get really beat up about that, then it's going to be harder to bounce back. So you're not creating that conducive environment if you don't have a culture that not only accepts problems and mistakes, but understands that that is how we progress. We right. always learn more in the problems and the downfalls than we do when we're succeeding. So I think creating a, a culture of acceptance and, and, you know, beyond that, just that sort of tailgate review time where we always um, go back and look at the football tapes and, you know, where did we miss that pass and how did they beat us and how are we going to get it right next time? So, you know, companies can create that environment then it, then it does set the individual employees up for a better resiliency. And then on the individual side, you have to accept it. Well, either way, whether they're creating the conducive environment or not, you can just choose and say, I'm, I'm going to be resilient. And what that means really to me is you have to turn the lens around. So as a natural part of our limbic brain system, when we get knocked down, we are going to go into fight or flight mode. And our fight or flight mode says, you know, one, I'm exposed, I'm in danger, you know, this didn't go well, it's public, everybody knows it didn't go well, I'm in danger, I need to fight or flight, which might turn into, in a negative sense, could be, I'm going to blame somebody, I'm going to run, I'm going to go take another job and get out of here, right. you know, so all those sort of natural instincts we have, it's, it's the maturity to overcome that and turn the lens around and say, wait a second, this is not about me, this is about this organization and all these people who are impacted. Let me look at them and, and think about how can we get through this and do better next time. Right. Examples of resilience, because um, I think for the audience, you know, first of all, you know, the title of, of real life resilience from the world's most successful women in business. I think people automatically drawn uh, to that and to learn stories uh, of, of folks that have, have been resilient. But we, we probably should have started there, but we'll start here now. Um, when we say resilience, what does it mean? And let's let's play with a couple of, of examples of what you've seen from these successful women leaders. Absolutely. So just, you know, just so you know, listeners, the um, book is available wherever books are sold. And it's it has 36 stories. Now we have 195 members. But we pulled 36 of the very, very interesting and compelling stories to uh, put in the book to talk about these different topics. And we cover five competencies, resilience being the, the biggest theme, but the others are courage, adaptability, sense making, and vulnerability, because those were all themes that came through. But when it comes to an example of resiliency, I think, you know, let me just use my own. Uh, my story's in the book, but what, you know, when I, running a human capital firm is, uh, you know, what we do is premium top of the house executive development. So we're working with the top 5% in medium to large companies, and we're helping them become better leaders, you know, through, we might create a corporate university or some coaching or some succession planning, you know, we're doing all these things. Now we're in the midst of transforming to more of a tech company, but that's who we've been for the last 38 years. And what I've led now through two downturns and what happens in a firm like ours during a downturn is you, you get cut 
Right. So the more, you know, like if, if I have to decide as a CEO of a publicly traded company, do I keep my executive development or do I keep my employees? You know, the choice has to be the employees. So, um, and we understand that. So the last downturn in 2008, we were cut, we lost 70% of our business, as did most people in our space. Right. Many went out of business. And that was, it was extremely hard for a very long period of time. We had just completed an acquisition. So we had debt from that. Uh, We were doing well, but then the downturn came and then we weren't doing well and we had the debt. And so um, it took, I worked three years without a paycheck and I took three days off. And the way I finally stopped working like that was I became so sick, I could not function and I had to work my way out of it. So I didn't, you know, when you talk about resiliency at that moment, I honestly didn't know if I could come back. I was so, so worn out. and. It, you know, when you're in a battle for a long time, it, it can just wear you down. Yeah. And so um, all I did was keep putting one step in front of the other. I just didn't quit. And until one day, I never thought it would happen. I actually thought I was so burned out. Like my heart had unplugged. Yeah. And I was thinking, I just want to paint like the walls. Like I don't <laughs> I'm going to set, you know, sack groceries. Yeah. Like something I can see with my eyes and move with my hands. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I kept going, I just kept going to work and I kept going to work with that emptiness in my heart. And I did that for, it was probably a couple of years. And then one day I just noticed the spark was coming back. And, you know, after, but I did have to adjust things. I had to start exercising. I had to get more rest. And then I, and then I kept showing up. And, and of course we were digging out of the problem. We eventually were completely out of debt just about a month before COVID hit, (laughs) but that's another story. What, and and I don't want this to be a a gender loaded question, but I I want to, I do want to ask the question of is resilience something that's gender neutral and that we all just need to be a bit more resilient. We need to be working on our resilience like we work on anything else. Or do you think there's a special relationship in some way uh, with successful women uh, business leaders? Well, you know, I haven't researched it. So I, I don't want to say definitively. My, my instinct is that we all have to have it. I mean, any leader who gets into any position is going to have to have resiliency. Right. But then as a mother, I can tell you that, you know, there's things you learn as a woman, especially as a mother, that, you know, it's like, I'm going to keep going no matter what, because someone's depending on me. And maybe, maybe there is that instinct that we bring to the table. You know, we bring our mother's instinct, our motherly instinct to the table when we're a leader. And, you know, I I like to talk to people about women in leadership. You know, women, they bring this sort of soul to the company, just like they do a home. And, you know, if we look at it like that, then I I think there are some things that they bring to the table that maybe would be a little different. But I still think both have to have it. Right. Right. I I think you're right. I feel that I feel the same way. I feel, again, you know, without generalizing too much, I I think Mm -hmm. that uh, resilience is probably defined differently. 
mm-hmm. you know, probably in different stages of, of one one's career. And I think if you you know got a hundred men in one room and said define resilience, and a hundred women in a room and so defined resilience, you'd probably come up with much different definitions of resilience. Probably. Um, so that'd be a great experiment. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, for us to to run, you had mentioned some of the other characteristics along with resilience that you that you you know that you the book f- focuses on the stories mm-hmm. focus on. I think one of them was courage, the other was vulnerability. Could you take us into those uh, those other, other aspects as well? Because I think I think the audience is going to find that fascinating. Mm, yes, because what we tried to do here is to teach some leadership competencies mm-hmm. that are really hard to teach. Right. You know, it's really hard to teach resiliency, but by by reading the stories and listening, you can you can see it. You can right. say, "Oh, that's how it's done." So so that's you know one of the best ways for people to learn is by seeing it done. And even though these are stories written in a, you know, in a book, you can still, in your mind's eye, you can still see it. So one of the, so courage is a big one. So courage, what we, what we talk about in the book and of the stories that came through it is, you know, it has to do with this limbic brain system again, that we have this fight or flight thing in our, inside of ourselves. And we are actually herd animals, which became crystal clear during COVID (laughs) because you know how depressed people were because we couldn't be together. Right. And, uh, but we're as herd animals and, and I don't mean that negative, just by the way, I'm not trying to be anti-creation or anything like that. I'm just saying that this is our natural bent. We belong with herd Right. (laughs) and the herd is each other. And so when, as a, as an individual, when you step out of the herd, you are in danger. And uh, what every leader has to do is step out of the herd. So we talk about that. We talk about, you know, it's scary and, and how do you do it? And, and then how do you lead others through, but someone has to do it. Someone has to lead. And what, you know, when I'm talking to leaders, I always say, if you see a leadership gap, step in it because we need that people need leadership. And so, you know, the courage is one of the big themes that came through. That was one, not only the courage to step out and lead, but also the courage to be vulnerable, which then we talk about vulnerability as one of them. The next one was resiliency. The third one was adaptability. And with adaptability, you know, it it is what it sounds like, you know, that we adapt. But I really try to teach that it's bigger than that. Like, let's take an adaptive stance. And so, I don't know, did you play any sports when you were younger? I did. I played soccer. Okay, you played soccer. So, if I said to you as a soccer player to take an adaptive stance, what would that mean to you? Well, adaptive meaning I can go forward or backwards Mm -hmm. (laughs) or side to side, I guess. (laughs) Yes, yes, right. You're prepared to go whichever way you need to go. And if we do that at work, you know, if we were prepared, it's like it's, you have a path that you're planning to take, right. but you're not knocked off your balance if you need to go a different way. I love does that. that. Make, does that no, make sense? it, it absolutely it, it creates a freedom to it too, it which is nice. I think that's good for people that they're not so boxed in with this is the only way. It's like, listen, I love, the, I love the phrase. If there's a gap, step into it, mm-hmm. um, yes. which frees people up again, gives them the courage to then try something. And again, I, I remember 
100 years ago, I worked at Walmart and I went, I took over a department that had historically been a failure. Mm-hmm. And a, a friend of mine asked me after work, of course, and, uh, uh, you know, why'd you do that? I said, well, if I fail, I was expected to fail because everyone right. else had failed. <laughs> <laughs> and if I succeeded, I was a hero. Why? You were hedging. Exactly. I was, I was completely hedging because I'm like, eh, if it doesn't work out, you know, everyone's going to go, yeah, that department's, it's, it's, it's always been terrible. Don't worry about right, it. Right, right. No stigma attached. Oh, that's good. But yeah, no, I love that. And you stepped in the leadership gap, which I love. Yep. So, um, so the way there are two, there are two others. You yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, please. Let's go. Yeah. yeah okay. No, so since, because I want to cover sense making, because a lot of people don't talk mm-hmm. about sense making and then we'll talk about vulnerability for a second, but sense making is when you intentionally take the time to stop and make sense of what's going on. And most of us have gotten in this routine of, you know, do accomplish, check the box mm-hmm. on to the next thing. Or don't accomplish. We fail. And then we still go on to the next thing. Is sense-making a synonym for like reflection or reflective? It is. It is in some ways. It's like deep reflection, but deep, usually yeah. in the context of having conversations with others as well. Ah, so it's, it's it, like it. it's you're not, an individual not just you pondering. Yeah. Right. It's got like it. really trying to break it down with others and make sense out of it. And so I think it's, it's more important that we do this now than ever. Like we need to stop. Like we had such a great COVID-19 gave us, we called it the sim of all sims, meaning simulation of all simulations, although it wasn't a simulation, we hope. (laughs) No. um, Anyway, the sim of all sims, which is that um, we, we actually got to see what we had as far as leaders. We did, you know, what, whatever we didn't know was exposed. So during this process, you, you know, each company found out, like, did I have leaders who could adapt? Did I have leaders who could step in that gap? Did I have them who could turn us front into a work from home company over the weekend? Or did I have the wrong people? Or had I not developed them? They didn't have the skills or, you know, all of that. So, you know, it's, it's crucial. Like, this is the best time to stop and think about what we learned during this COVID experience. So that's an example of sense-making. And then the last competency that we cover in the book is vulnerability. And and I was really trying to cover here when you're at your most vulnerable. And that's usually when something has happened to us that we don't know if we can recover from. So we have stories in there where people have lost spouses and children and one of those stories, and this, after the, I wrote this one, first I did interviews, then I wrote the stories. After I wrote this one, I just sat and cried because there was one story. One of the women um, was a mother of a young, of a baby and had to go in and do an all night IT integration. And the baby died of SIDS while she was at work. And so, you know, trying to make sense of life and come back after something like that, you're at your most vulnerable. Right. And the support that you need to get through it. And like, how do we get through some of life's most horrible events? And, you know, especially when you're a leader, like you're still in front of everyone and you're trying to deal with all this pain. So we tried to cover that because the whole book is trying to, you know, we wanted to inspire people that no matter how bad it is, others have been there. You're going to make it. Here's how, and we're here cheering you on. 
I love that. I mean, first of all, I, I, the story just kind of breaks my heart. But at the same time, uh, you you learn from that and you you get better. You become resilient. Uh, is there a, is there a part of you as a leadership development expert that there's some experiential learning that can happen with resilience? Well, definitely. I mean, any any time you're you're coming back, you know. If, if you're just talking about like, what do I learn or could we create it? Which way are you saying? Both, both, both actually. C- can you create it? Because, uh, you know, people that are listening to this, you're going to go, this is fantastic. I want to do it. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> now what? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, there's actually, of course, you can create. What we would create is probably a simulation. Right. Um, so you can simulate something that's happening. Like, for example, you could simulate that we're trying to open up a, a new city. For So let's say your your business is the mosquito business, right? Like you've got you've got mosquito franchises so that you get rid of the, you know, that you have something that gets rid of the mosquitoes in your yard. So if I wanted to open a new city, so we could create a simulation of opening a new city. And then we throw in all kinds of problems. So that would be a chance for you to one, be resilient and two, lead through it. And, you know, then we can watch how you do. And, and in a learning environment, all of that is just great information and, and really helpful for us to know what you need to know. It, it doesn't mean you're failing if you don't get it right. I mean, That's we're right. in a learning environment. So yeah, we're it's a safe environment. Say, yeah, it's a safe place. It's like you practice. Um, the other thing you can do is get on some projects that are new and different and, you know, like we, we have a, a thing called action learning, which is where usually your leaders in the organization will choose a few projects, let's say three to five. And we put young, uh, not necessarily young, we put high potentials on these projects as if they were an outside consulting firm. Like uh, we're going to work to work on this problem for us or, or some other Accenture or somebody. But instead, we're going to give it to our own high potentials and see how they do. We're going to try to give them resources, some mentoring, some coaching, you know, help oh, them be that. collaborative as a team member. We're going to do all of that in this learning environment, but we're giving them a real project. And then they have to treat it like a business case, come back and make their case for their thing. And then in the, in the ones who do it really well, the executives will choose at least one, sometimes more of those projects to move forward. I love that. That's such a, and again, it's such a great way to engage talent and retain some of those high potentials, high, high performers, top talent. Bonnie, I could talk to you all day and I wish I I had time to talk to you all day. I want everyone to make sure that they find the book and buy the book, read the book and then consume it and then reach out to you and also look at women execs on boards and the work that you do there, uh, which is really important as well. Yeah, org. It's where it's where these uh, women are, you know, ready to be on corporate boards, and many of them are on some quite impressive boards. Thank you so much for carving out time today for us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been great being here. Awesome, and thanks to everyone that listens to the Recruiting Daily podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at recruitingdaily.com.